Gang, we're going to be talking now with Dr. Don Kilhefner, who's here in studio with me. Welcome, Don. And welcome. It's great to see you, Don. Good to see you, too. So I was telling uh, our audience uh, before you came into the studio that you never ask a lady or a gay man their actual age, but you've been doing this for 50 years, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm 81 years old, going on 82. 81. Uh, and this is the half century of my front lines work in the gay community here in Los Angeles and nationally. That is amazing. I know you're the founder of so many organizations, the Los Angeles LGBT Center, the Van Ness Recovery House. What am I missing? A radical Fairies. Radical Fairies, yes, of course. Uh, uh, gay Elder Circle, uh, Gay Men's Medicine Circle, uh, on and on and on. That, that okay. I just, I am not worthy. I am like bowing to you. I am bowing <laughs> Come on, John. Come on, John. Uh, you have your contributions, too. I, I, yes, but I got, start, I got started in 1979. So I think, I guess, 10 years after. And 10 years oh after. Oh, my God. Me. This is my 40-year anniversary. There you go. I'm aging right I'm along I'm just going to you. say, you've been around as long as I have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The Radical Fairies is, the, I, I think some of our listeners, what, what, I know when some of the staff was in earlier, I mentioned Radical Fairies, and they kind of giggled, they're like, what's that? And I said, Radical oh. Fairies was started in 1979 by Harry and and myself. Uh, we felt that it was time to have a redefinition of what it means to be gay. Right. That we're more than a sexual act. Right. That we're contributing something to society. And we held the first radical fairy gathering out in the Sonoran Desert, uh, east of uh, Tucson, uh, at a little uh, ashram. Uh, we sent out a notice. Uh, we thought maybe 50 people would show up. 200 gay men showed up from oh my all God. over. In the middle of the desert, desert in Arizona. Over, you got it. <laughs> from all over North America. So that's how and Coachella got started. That's amazing. <laughs> you got it. And it spread from there all over the world. There are radical fairy sanctuaries in Australia, in France, uh, three of them here in the United States. And there are radical fairy gatherings happening all over uh, the world. And the basic idea is that we are not just uh, the opposite of heterosexual we don't define ourselves within what heteronormative society no that we're contributing something to society something beyond we're, we're, we're more than a blowjob yeah. we're contributing something to society and what we need to do is say what is that contribution we're making to society <laughs> right right and then we have our own distinct culture and distinct uh, that's people. true as yeah. well yeah that's true as well e.o wilson the dean of american scientists says gay people are um, uh, the altruistic impulse in the human species. We carry something around idealism. Mm. Joan Roughgarden, who's a uh, evolutionary biologist at Stanford, says we carry the cooperative principle. Wherever we're found in whatever species, we're, we're facilitating cooperation. Mm. So that uh, radical fairies was based on the idea of redefining what it means to be gay. Wow, that's that's amazing, and so I guess, and it's fun, and it is. <laughs> and the outfits are amazing, <laughs> and these radical fairy <laughs> gatherings where, where that happen around the world, uh, they're enjoyable. Right, it's gay men coming together and taking care of gay men. There's been a continuous tension between those who think we should assimilate and those who think we should have our own distinct identity. Mm -hmm. I know what side you identify. Uh, yes, but that started early on, right? Uh, it, it started with with Walt Whitman. Mm. It started. It has a uh, 
uh, uh, and grass, 150 right. year oh my uh, gosh. history to it. And what what was the debate? Walt Whitman was a pretty radical fairy himself. Right? Yes, yeah. he was. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, Whitman, for the first time, said there's a difference between heterosexual consciousness and gay consciousness. He called heterosexual consciousness amative consciousness. He called something else he called co- uh, adhesive consciousness. What he called adhesive, he would refer to what are gay people today. Hmm. So, uh, very from the very, very beginning uh, of development of gay consciousness, Walt Whitman was central to it. Hmm. That's interesting. And Who was the, the polar op- opposite of that? Uh, uh, Emerson. Uh, yeah, em- you got it. Yeah, yeah the assimilationist. Oh, interesting, yeah. right. Yeah. And Emerson is an interesting individual because when he was in college, he fell in love with his college roommate, uh, a male, and uh, throughout his life, even though he married and, and everything like that, throughout his life, there was a gay part of him that he could never manifest. And that's why Whitman was such an embarrassment to Emerson because... Yes. He was out in the open with it. That's it. So, th- those of you listening, if you didn't know, we just outed Walt Whitman and uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't do it for the first time. Yeah, it's in the literature; people see it, can see it. Now, when the radical fairies got started, there was also uh, a, a group that tried to move uh, the radical fairies more to a centrist position, wasn't there? I don't. I don't think so. No. Okay. No, I don't All think right. so. Uh, it's always been radical. There are some fairies who just call themselves fairies. Yeah, and that's fine with. With, with me, Harry and I designed it so it would be decentralized. Hmm. We wanted we we did not want any responsibility for running the radical ferry. Mm-hmm. What we said, if it's going to work, it's going to happen. Uh, spontaneously out there with different radical fairy gatherings, and hmm. that's what happened. And then was there an, a- an international gathering once a year? Uh, that would uh, no, 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 no. But um, three, two years ago in England, there was an international radical fairy gathering that over three hundred uh, radical fairies uh, got together, and primarily from the Middle East, Greece. Italy, uh, the Mediterranean countries. Wow. So it's become a worldwide phenomenon. That, that is amazing. Starting the Los Angeles LGBT Center, it was, I think, the first center in the world. Yes, and, it? and uh, is today the largest, the largest cent- center the of its kind in the world. But right. it got started because you and Morse Kite and... Basically, Mars Kite and myself, mm-hmm. and plus a lot of other people who came and went uh, as time went on. But the basic premise was two of them. Number one is to create a community where a community had never existed before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and secondly, if you have a community, the, the, the kind of base understanding of community is we take care of each other. Mm-hmm. And that's where the center came in. There had to be some place where we assumed responsibility for the welfare of each of us. And it was a house down in Crenshaw? Uh, down on Wilshire Boulevard, not oh. d- down the uh, not other direction from where we're, from, from where we're sitting right now. <laughs> oh, interesting. Uh, and... Um, uh, it uh, came out, grew out of gay liberation, mm-hmm. the gay liberation front here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Many times people are uh, more assimilationists are embarrassed by the idea that the center grew out of a very revolutionary organization. Yeah. But it's, uh, that's where it came from. I think, I think most progress starts way out on the far left. <laughs> that's where 
where it starts. Many, 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 many of them do. That, that's where it gets started. Yeah. Now, um, the very first center, um, was it uh, men and lesbians? Uh, and lesbians uh, the together? center was open to to everybody. We said womb-to-tomb services. It <laughs> didn't matter. We had uh, transsexual, trans uh, uh, services, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. Uh, we, it was an umbrella organization for the community. Nothing existed in the community at that time. Yeah, nothing. That, and that's why we decided we were going to provide all these services under one roof. Wow. Uh, because where else were they? They didn't exist. Was there hostility from police or politician um, or church? Or? Uh, one, uh, uh, when, when we hung the sign out in Wilshire Boulevard saying Gay Community Services Center, one um, leader in the community said, Hun, you're going to have to take down that sign and we're all going to get arrested. And we said, nope. What Gay liberation is about we're here, we're queer, we're not going anywhere. And uh, we have as much right to be here as anybody else. The police never bothered us. That's amazing. Yeah. And back then, uh, homosexuality was criminalized in the state yes, of California. Yeah. We were organizing at a time we were sick, we were criminals and sinful. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a fun party to me. <laughs> Count me in. I'm down. <laughs> That's amazing. And I know back then, when the advocate got started and they right. started to send their newsletter through the u.s mail they got shot shut down as uh, that was a one incorporated newsletter uh, uh, one that, incorporated but, newsletter but where where the advocate comes in it became our first national newspaper yes located here, here in los, los angeles, angeles that's right. and so the los An- the activities of the los angeles gay liberation front were covered uh, every every issue, and so what we were doing here in Los Angeles got spread nationally very very quickly, and for the 1970s, uh, Los Angeles was a center uh, of a center of the gay liberation movement. Here I tell country. people that all the time. People, people, I think people think of New York because of Stonewall, and they think of San Francisco because of Harvey Milk, but Los Angeles stands on its oh, own. Yeah, so much got started here. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I know that. Uh, obviously, now when we're talking, radical fairies got started here. That one institute got started here. The advocate got started here. The first gay political action committee, MECLA, got started here. I mean, People, there are historians who call uh, Los Angeles the cradle. Of of the gay community, the cradle of the gay community. Well, that would make you one of the first babes in the cradle. Uh, I, I certainly rocked the cradle. <laughs> <laughs> That's really amazing. So, uh, and then the Van Ness Recovery House—they're coming on forty years anniversary. Um, they're, they're they're coming on to close of uh, fifty year fifty year anniversary. Yeah, yeah I, I, I sit on the board now, but I didn't know uh, when we got started. Uh, some some members of AA came to Mars and I and said, you know, uh, gay people are discriminated against in in recovery houses in some AA meetings and we want something different and we said it's time to create a recovery house when we did that my god the are first you, you were history. a busy bee you uh, i still am and you still are at 81 you still are that's amazing we need to take a quick break here we're talking to dr don kill hefner area live in studio we'll be back after these messages here on channel q We are in studio with Dr. Don Kill Hefner, one of the founding fairies of the modern LGBT rights movement. It's such a pleasure having you here, Don. Hi, it's a pleasure being here, John. Enjoying our conversation. Yeah, I've always liked your work in the community. Oh, thank you very much. You write a lot. You author a lot. You, you do everything, I think, from essays to books. And, right. And I know one of your current works is um, about midlife crisis. And you're, you identify as a Jungian psycho- psychiatrist. Yes, I, sorry, yeah. psychologist. Psychologist, yes. So tell us a little bit about what you've been writing about. Uh, well, 
the last 20 years, um, uh, my focus of work in the, in the gay community here in Los Angeles and nationally has been intergenerational uh, cooperation and, and uh, consciousness. Um, I, I work with young people. I, I and some other people do a group called um, Father Hunger uh, for teens, late teens, 20-something, helping them make that transition into adulthood. Hmm. Uh, Roberto Blaine and I do a, a community-based workshop uh, called um, Gay Men and Midlife Awakening, uh, Rites of Passage into the Second Half of Life. Hmm. And then I also do a lot of work with old people, elders, uh, workshops on how to become an elder and have created something called the Gay Elder Circle here in Los Angeles, where hmm. uh, older men are assuming the role of elders in the, in, in the gay community. So I, I, I'm trying to develop intergenerational communication, intergenerational cooperation. Which is ideal because I, I, usually it's conflict. There's usually generational conflict. It can be. It? It can be, yeah. 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 And, and, and I'm really curious about this because you know I'm, I'm of a certain age. I, I got a big birthday coming up this year. I'm not even going to tell you, but it starts with a six and ends with a zero. I got a big birthday coming up and uh, I know that for me, the, the men that were right in front of me mostly got wiped out in the epidemic. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really have any role models uh, that when I came out, I came out and all of a sudden it's like, here, here's an epidemic. And it's like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Well, I have a slightly different view on, on right. that. Uh, and in my writings, I express it. Uh, CDC suggests that maybe 10 to 12 of gay men, percent of gay men have been affected by HIV. The rest have not. Mm-hmm. Where are those other gay men? They weren't wiped out. Mm-hmm. Why aren't they assuming responsibility in the community? Many of the people who were wiped out were our alphas, people who were in leadership positions. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, I don't think a whole generation was wiped out. Yeah, well, where are they? That's a very good question. Maybe they were just fully assimilated either. In- uh, they're not assuming their responsibility. Yeah. And one of the problems we have with assimilation, uh, the you know the the end game of assimilation is that the gay community disappears and gay identity disappears because assimilation means you 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 absorb yourself right into the dominant culture. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to be part of a melting pot. I'd like to be just part of a chopped salad. Each little piece of the chopped salad having its uh, own a, identity. That's a great metaphor. That's a great metaphor. <laughs> that's a good metaphor. No, but that the other the other position is that we're contributing something to society, mm-hmm. and it's what are we contributing that becomes the important question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we assimilate, we lose all of that. Mm-hmm. Society loses all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's my contention that uh, we play an important role in evolutionary biology. That we're contributing something. We keep reappearing generation after generation after generation. Why do we keep reappearing? Um, evolutionary bio- biology tells us anything that reappears like that over a thousand, ten thousand years. They're contributing something to society, and we need to look at what that is. And it's not disco music. <laughs> Although I love our music, too. <laughs> uh, a, a little bit of disco will go a long way. <laughs> a long way. You're writing a lot now, I think, about midlife crisis. What, yes. What's that about? Well, uh, um, 
uh, at midlife, something happens in our lives, just naturally. Um, uh, the first half of our lives, we it pretty much is about our ego development. Uh, we learn to tie our shoes. We learn to get an education. We learn to do all those things society tells us to do. Many people, when they reach midlife, uh, they say, you know, I'm not happy. There's something hollow in me. Uh, there's something that I'm not satisfied with. And they begin looking for something else. That's what I call the midlife awakening, where you become awake to a larger life than you've had before. The ego-centered life just doesn't do it. And you begin a life that has more spirit to it, mm-hmm. more soul work to it, has more contributing to others, has a, a, a much larger framework for that life and uh, if you get stuck in making that transition that's when you have a crisis when you get stuck but if you don't get stuck it would just happen naturally that you begin looking the BMW isn't as important as maybe uh, helping somebody. Oh, that's amazing. I guess I'm in the middle of a midlife transition then. <laughs> uh, uh, that could be. Uh, that could be. I, even just doing this work in here the at Valley. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, David Brooks has brought out a, uh, the uh, op ed uh, writer for the New York Times has brought out a new book called The Second Mountain that talks all about this. So if you want to find out about this midlife awakening, uh, David Brooks' The Second Mountain is, is excellent. It's not gay centered, but it, it covers all the bases. Hmm. Do you have a, a website or a place where people can look and access all of your writings? Uh, no, I don't. I, I do that deliberately. If people want to get in contact with me, pick up the phone. I'm in the phone book. <laughs> you <laughs> or are. Come, or come and knock on my door. <laughs> come knock on my door. You see, kids, this is what we used to do before we had the internet. You'd actually have to pick up the phone and call. <laughs> yeah, or, or stop by. Oh, that, that's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I think a lot of your work has been around gay men. Now, do you have have a an ally in the women's community no 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 i'm i'm the g and lgbtq you are the g i'm the g you are the g i'll let the l's and the others take care of their work i take care of the g work very 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 cool when you were a young man and coming who did you look up to as walt whitman walt whitman walt whitman got me through it why why uh because he he wrote about uh love between men he wrote about same-sex uh, sex. He wrote about people like you and me mm-hmm. in his poetry. And this was in the 1850s? 1855, I think it was first published. Right after Lincoln got assassinated, basically. That's amazing yeah. to think about. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then there's been a whole series of people. I've had the good fortune to work uh, with Mars Kite here in Los Angeles. I've had the good luck to work with Harry Hay uh, in terms of organizing the Radical Ferry. So I've worked with some of the giants of, uh, of uh, gay history here in Los Angeles. Yeah. Well, you are one of the giants in gay history here in Los Angeles, Don. You make me laugh. You, you are one of the giants. <laughs> Looking forward as the community now moves into this new millennium of work and with young millennials coming right behind us as the next generation are you hopeful uh, I'm hopeful, and I also said there's a lot of work. The Catholic Church says that we're objectively, morally uh, inferior, that, and that has to be challenged. There's gay liberation work to be done. Still. Even uh, in 2019. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Of course there is. And and to pretend like they're, uh, the battle is over is nonsense. Yep. I agree uh, with you. Uh, I the Catholic agree. Church says that we're intrinsically evil. 
That has to be confronted, just like the APA had to be confronted in the early 1970s. American Psychiatrist Association, right? Yes, yes. APA. Uh, we're done with our time, Dr. Don Kilhefner. Thank you. for. I hope you'll come back. I'll come back, John, you know, just I'll, I'll have knock on my door and I'll be back. I, I got your phone number. I'll call you. <laughs> we'll get you to come back. Gang, thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. When we come back, we'll be talking to Rand Martin, the first lobbyist on HIV and AIDS in the 80s here on Channel Q.